Good morning, Harvest. My name is Pastor Richard. If you're joining us for the first time, and welcome to our second online service. You know, this is very scary and interesting times that we're living in, once in a generation kind of thing. And I can't imagine what it's like to be in our homes today, in your homes, quarantined. And the things I've been wrestling with, and I've imagined what is God doing here today? And I felt like today's passage in the sermon series that we're entering in is Jesus Saves. And I think it perfectly answers those questions. What is Jesus, what is God doing in our circumstance today? What is happening in our world? And what am I supposed to do in our homes? So I want to pray for us and we'll start today's service. Not service, today's message. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we have gathered here, not as individuals, dear Lord, but we have gathered here as a church. Even though we are separated in different homes, we are united under one banner that is your name, dear Lord. That we are under one kingdom as your son is king, Lord. And I just pray that in this troubling time, in this time of just uncertainty, and it's time where fear can run amok in our lives, I pray Everything of this world may be silenced and only you and your voice will remain today, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us through this text. Speak to us to your, as your children. I thank you and I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, I want before I get, um, read the passage and give the message, I want to kind of tell a joke that you know, relates to today's sermon. It's, I think it's a, it's a funny joke I've heard a couple of years ago. So there was this man, and he lived in an apartment. And in the news, it was saying that, hey, evacuate. There's a huge flood coming, you know. After a certain time, no one's going to come save you. And this man was so adamant, so had so much blind faith in God, saying, don't worry. I know God is going to save me. I'm going to stay in this apartment. I know God will save me. So the water is rising up. Everyone already evacuated and left the apartment. And uh, he lived on the first floor. And a, and a big truck comes by and tells the guy, hey, get in our van. Let's go. We'll, let's, we can save you. Let's get out of this flood. But the man in the apartment said, no, don't worry. I know that God will save me. And the van left. And the f- water kept rising. The man evacuated his home, went to the fourth floor of his apartment, and a man, another person in a canoe came to him and said, Hey, your apartment is flooded. Like, it, the flood is getting worse and worse. Jump into the canoe. We'll save you. And the man in the apartment was so adamant and said, No, don't worry. Leave me alone. God will save me. It got to a point where the water was rising so high that the man's only escape was to the roof of the building. And a helicopter comes along and tells him, Hey, Get on top. Get on the helicopter. We're here to save you. But man refused to help, saying, "No, God will save me." Eventually, that man died, <laughs> and he goes to heaven and he confronts God. God, I believed in you so much. I thought you'd save me. Where were you? And God gets frustrated and says, "What are you talking about? I tried saving you three times. I sent you a guy in a truck, a canoe, and a helicopter." But you refused all three. And I, I think this joke is funny and kind of sad in the same way because 
I think oftentimes when we ask God for help or when we need God, we want God not the way he comes to us, but we want God to save us in our own circumstance. I think we want God to save us in our own comfort zone. And today's passage and sermon challenges us, challenges our perspective and how do we, how does God, how does Jesus save? What is God's goal in, this, in his ministry on earth? What is going on? So today's passage is in, is in John chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. On the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan and Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, there are, they, ha- they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has yet to come. His mother had said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the uh, Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banker tasted the water that had had been turned um, into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had um, drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom outside, and he said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, then the cheaper wine after the guests. um, After guests have drank too much, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. So the picture of what's going on here is that Jesus, his disciples, were involved in this wedding ceremony. And a wedding ceremony in Jewish customs, this married married couple chose to stay home, and they opened their house to their neighborhood, to their family and friends. And even though the society back then, they were living in poverty and constant hardship, this week-long festivity was a great relief to the community, to the friends and family, where they can celebrate this communion, celebrate this marriage together. And Jesus arriving with his five disciples caused caused a complication where there was no more wine. And... There was no wine, and this wine was a symbol of joy. And now that they have run out, it would have been a huge in their culture and culturally, it would have been a socially disgraceful. And Jesus and Mary goes to Jesus, telling him, "Jesus, there's no more wine." And we read, we hear Jesus' response, "Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come." And we think, "Whoa, Jesus, calm down." And first of all, like Korean people are like, "How can you talk back to your mother?" I know full-grown adults that still talk to their mothers. I still talk to my mother with reverence and fear behind it. Because, and you see here, reading it firsthand, you think, why is Jesus being respectful? But he's not responding to Mary in a cold manner, but in a term of respect. And points out saying that this is not my time to shine. This is not, as he said, my hour has not yet come. Yet Mary had faith in him. Even though Mary did not understand what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was was going to happen in his ministry, he still trusted and had faith in Jesus. 
even though Jesus, it sounded like Jesus was saying no, he t- Mary tells the servants to do whatever, tells the servants to do whatever Jesus, what this man tells you to do. And Mary still had faith and trusted in him. And she instructed the servants to follow. And Mary had the faith in which she could trust even when she did not understand completely what Jesus was saying. So Jesus asked the servants to help fill these pots of of water, these giant jugs. And what these pots were filled with, why they were filled with water is, in Jewish customs, it's always proper when you come into a building, if your feet was dirty from the mud, from the dirt, it'd be washed. And before meals and before... All before any uh, before eating, your hands would be wa- had to be washed. So Jesus used these jars of water, probably already filthy and gross, filled with what you can't even imagine. And in faith, the Jesus changes this water, and faith the servants takes this water, serves it to the people, and not only do they serve it to people and they drink it, but it is better than they have ever tasted. In, this, in the whole ceremony. This water that Jesus took, this once filthy water, God, God knowing what's inside of it, Jesus was able to make something so good that the bridegroom was complimented, saying, wow, thank you for, give, thank you for saving the best wine to last. Right now, this is the first, today's, the title of today's sermon is actually Jesus Saving the Party. And Jesus saves the party. And what's so interesting about this sermon, about this passage, is two things: is that Mary goes to Jesus, Jesus saying that why are you bothering me? This is not where I meant to show God's glory. But yet she still chooses. And later on, you see in verse eleven, it says that this is the first sign showing Jesus showing here what the kingdom of God looks like, how the kingdom of God looks like this wedding ceremony. And this party shows God's generosity and His kindness of showing not only making there enough wine, but again, it's multiple jars of water filling what twenty to thirty gallons. There was a more than enough wine for the party. And what's and the other part that's so interesting that not only does Jesus is, this shows Jesus' miracle, showing what the kingdom of God looks like, that it's not part of God's plan. That this miracle, this miracle here today, that day he showed, was not part of what God's, what Jesus was planning on his ministry. And what's so interesting about that is that even the disciples, even Mary, did not fully understand what was going on. That these miracles showed God's glory and his grace. And his amazed this amazing miracle. But the problem here with the disciples, with Mary, is even though they saw the glory of God right there, they did not understand the big picture. Even Mary, even when when I was um coming up with the sermon series, I think what I wanted to do is I feel like a lot of us forget what the goal of the gospel is, what the goal of Jesus' ministry is. We know that the answer to life, everything, you go to a Bible study, go to school, even my youth group kids know the answer 90% of the time is Jesus. But the problem is, we don't really know the problem itself. We don't know why the answer is Jesus. We don't know the importance of why Jesus is the answer. And how Jesus' goal in his ministry on earth was not turning 
water into wine. But his goal was redemption. His goal on earth was to preach the kingdom of God and to die for our sins. That there has been this gap, this canyon between God and us. And what Jesus' goal was to close that division that has been separated us for far too long. Yet, we are all so focused on the miracles. Yet, we're so focused on what Jesus can do right now. Can he turn my dirty water into wine? And I want to question us. When we pray to God, what is the purpose? What is the power? What is the extent of our prayer? Even in the time that we are in right now, we may be praying, asking God to take away this coronavirus, take away the sickness. Please send my kids back to school. Please let it be that I can go outside and have a social life again. But is that really the big picture when it comes to prayer? I feel like so many of us are okay and settling with asking God, turn my water into wine. There is no keep this party alive. Jesus does do that. He does. I know that Jesus will heal. I know that this circumstance that we are in will pass. I know the struggles that we will go through, there will be healing, there will be miracles. But are we only looking for water to turn into wine? Or are we focusing on that big picture? Are, we, are our eyes set in the same goal that Jesus had? That redemption for that gap to be closed once and for all. When I was younger, not younger, when I was in middle school, my mom had this craze where she felt, she felt like, okay, I need, to tell, I need to teach Richard and Kevin everything they need to do. Things that other kids, they learn in elementary school. We took Taekwondo, piano, and swimming. If you do not know about this about me, I hate swimming. I hate swimming pools. I hate the ocean. I hate the idea of being surrounded by water and the feeling of, oh my goodness, I could drown. And the funny thing, now in hindsight, I think about these, taking these swimming classes was one of the worst experiences I had as middle schoolers. For some multiple reasons, because A, I didn't like swimming, B, the swimming class was meant for a little elementary school students, and I was about five foot eight or nine at that point, and I was definitely the tallest kid. But it was the funniest thing, because it was, it was in a YMCA, and you see these crowd of children, but you see me standing as a huge middle schooler, just angry and annoyed. And I would, and we would take these classes for a couple months, and I would question my mother. I'm like, why are you making me do all this? But you know, like the hardest thing for a parent to do is ask a kid going to puberty to do something different and challenge themselves because they don't want to do anything. They want to be comfortable, you know? And I'm like, why do you want me to do this? Why are you making me suffer? And in hindsight, seeing it now, just seeing the small picture of, oh God, uh, why is my mom making me do this? Why is she torturing me? But seeing the big picture now, I see my mom's goal and hope was to give me the opportunity and to give me the chances other kids had to making sure that I did not lack anything as a child, that making sure that I have every opportunity as my friends and the people growing around me. And now seeing that as an adult, I'm forever grateful for these piano classes, taekwondo. Even as a middle school kid, I never appreciated it. 
seeing the big picture now, I realize, wow, that is a love and sacrifice of a mother. And I bring this story up because I question what we do when we pray. Do we see what God is doing? Do we see the redemption and love that God has, the plan that He has for us? Or are we only asking Him for some uh, one tiny miracle? So what do we do in our homes today? Let us break from the patterns of the world. That it, that even though right now we may be locked in our homes, not being able to go outside, I believe that this is a wonderful opportunity for us to discover His love, to us to discover the horror and the beauty of the cross, that this can be an opportunity for us to become free, that we should at we should at this point in our in, the, in our season that we are in, asking God to broaden our visions and allowing us to see more than there is to meet the eye. So let us call out to God. Let us complain, even. Though, I think a lot of us, we feel like we can't really complain and whine to God. Look at Job. He is someone that goes to God whining about his suffering and complaints. Let us do the same thing. I believe what we need to do is realize that there is an issue. We need to realize, oh snap, there is a gap between me, God, and I. And the only way for that bridge to get, the only way for that bridge to be established is through Christ. And I think in this season that we are in as harvest as a community is to seek God's greatest purpose here. To challenge ourselves what it means to be in a community. To seek God beyond this purpose. Beyond this circumstance. Let us be a church that challenge ourselves. Not being satisfied. Let us not get distracted. Trying to find something else to binge at, binge it on Netflix, something else to distract us. Now that we are stuck at home, I believe it is time for those distractions to erode, to fall down and crumble. So let it only be us and God. And I encourage, especially families, the head of households, mother and fathers, to truly embrace this with your children. Showing them as leaders and those as mentors and as you know role models. Not trying to find something else to numb the pain, but instead let us see the problem head on and find the solution and the answer that is Jesus. Because in the end, distraction does not save. In the end, the world does not save. In the end, God. In the end, Jesus is the one that saves. Jesus is the one that closes that gap. Jesus is that bridge that we have been waiting for so long. Let us not miss that opportunity. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have come here. We have come here as your children. In a place where the world is panicking around us, in the way the people around us don't know what tomorrow looks like. But to today, Lord, I pray that we may cry out your name. 
Today we may challenge ourselves to break down these walls that the world has so comfortably put around us. These distractions, these things, these things that we cover, whether it's our job, our status, our money, our distractions, I pray they all fall down in this pandemic. And all that remains is this problem, this issue, that there is this hole, this gaping hole between us and the Father that has loved and created us. I pray that we realize this big distance behind us. And instead of running away, instead of trying to find something else, I pray, I pray, Lord, we be challenged to cry out your name. And as Easter comes along right around the corner, I pray that we see the beauty that is the cross, the horror that your son has died for us, died as an innocent person, for our sins, so this separation may there be no longer, but we can be united in your name. I thank you and I just pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.